there were some questionable plays that happened down the stretch. Like Isaac Okoro was clearly hit by Clay Thompson on a moving screen, which gives up a three-point play. You know, there's, you know, there's no way to defend that. Um, you got the best, one of the best players on the planet with the ball in his hands. And clearly, if you're allowed to set moving screens like that, he's going to have an advantage. Um, and, you know, it's, it's time and time again that it keeps happening. And I'm yet to figure out what we can do and how we can solve it. But um, something's got to be done. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. Okay, Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan, which means yesterday I was enraged. And following the game, I've been doing these podcasts in the pretty much immediate aftermath of the games most of the season, but after three straight losses, I thought better of it. I thought, you know what? Sit on this for a moment. I had a lot of stuff just boiling up inside me, and if I wanted to come off as any type of non-unhinged lunatic, I thought the best bet was let it soak in, watch it again, try to calm down. Now, I'm still disappointed. And how that game ended. I'm disappointed that the Cavaliers are on a three-game losing streak, but there are positives. Let's just rip off the positives right out of the gate. The late nights, done. Now we take on a Minnesota team that is struggling. And we get to face a much different dynamic than a superstar three-point bomber. We get to face a team that is struggling to kind of mesh two big men, which is not a problem that we're having. Jared Allen, Evan Mobley playing very well. Evan Mobley 20 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists, a couple of blocks yesterday. He is getting better and better as the season progresses. So there is that. The second positive, of course, Donovan Mitchell, a near triple-double, 29-10-9. We did not close. I'm concerned about the offense in the final minutes of the game. I feel like we're starting to play anxious. We're starting to play in a way where the flow that we've had in the early parts of the game, the flow that we've had as we put on these runs, the Cavs had a 14-0 run at one point yesterday, and that's typical for them. We saw a 17-0 run against the Clippers. We've seen them come out after halftime, make some incredible adjustments. We, against the Lakers, that is an excellent example of the type of firepower this team has at any moment, they can turn it on. And all of this is happening with a largely inconsistent effort from Darius Garland as of late. He had a very difficult road trip. There's no way around that. The county numbers are fine, 13 points, 9 assists a game, but the percentages are brutal. He's taking 15 shots a game, making just 5. 31% from the field, 22% from 3. So that is not going to get it done on a guy whose volume is as high as Darius Garland. But he knows that. The team knows that. Nobody expects this to sustain. Against the Warriors, shot just 5 for 19. Finished with 15 and 8, which doesn't sound brutal, but anybody who's been watching these games has seen the kind of struggles that he's had late in the game. Against the Clippers, unfortunately, a lot of the offense ran through him because they wisely put their defensive focus on Mitchell. We gave up 13 to Norman Powell. We put him on the line too much, but more importantly, the offensive execution just wasn't there when it needed to be. 
you can't come up with empty possessions and, and rush shots at the end of the shot clock because we just simply didn't get to the places we needed to be on the floor. And it's an interesting dichotomy to when Garland was out because when Donovan Mitchell was the sole creator at the end of the games, things were working so well. That is not going to be what we want long term. So we're working through these growing pains of both guys having possessions when it matters. But it is disappointing to see more firepower out there, but worse late game execution. Because Donovan Mitchell had an absolutely unbelievable run while Garland was out with the eye injury. That's not to say there haven't been things to feel good about. Evan Mobley's progression as a more primary focus in the offense is good because along with Darius Garland, I mean, Karis LeVert, the small forward position against the Warriors last night was objectively bad. Isaac Okoro, the biggest contribution of his was fouls last night. Four points, five personal fouls, and of course, he was involved in the play that most infuriated Cavs fans as Steph Curry ran him into a screen, illegal or otherwise, from Klay Thompson that set up a three-pointer that felt like the backbreaker. I could, if I did this immediately after the game, I would be railing on the officials. And valid. Ton of whistles that game, but I can't do every podcast where that becomes the central focus. Because honestly, it does nothing for me, seeing it in the two-minute report that the refs screwed up. I guess that I'm glad that they do it, but at the same time, it's just salt in the wounds. If you're as invested in the team as I am, which I know most of you are, if you're listening to a very Cavs-centric podcast. So if this is the type of thing that gives you solace, know that the two-minute report came out and they did, in fact, conclude that Thompson did not give Okoro the time or distance to avoid the contact and turned his shoulder in to deliver contact. So it was a foul. And that was the only call on there that they deemed as incorrect. So all the ones that the Warriors say were, were wrong, the foul by Steph on Darius, the foul by Draymond Green on Donovan Mitchell, those were all upheld. Correct calls or correct non-calls. The replay of the Draymond Green play, their interpretation was that Green moved into Mitchell's path and initiated the leg-to-leg contact that caused him to trip. And as far as that Steph Curry foul where they called it on Darius Garland, despite me feeling like me personally as a viewer felt that that was pretty incidental contact, their interpretation was that Curry brought his off arm towards Garland and contact occurred as Curry released away without applying any force. Now that to me is a pretty, uh, that description of the interpretation almost screams to me incorrect call, but they did not see it that way. So if you're keeping score at home, Cavs fans, yes, we were in fact bent over by the refs, according to the two-minute report. But what does that matter? Because it's still an L. As much as I hate that that's a reality of the NBA, it is. And youth is oftentimes not rewarded. Veterans oftentimes get more favorable whistles, but as you impose your will as an upper echelon talent in this game, I gotta think that the Cavs will start to benefit from that some. The play where Donovan Mitchell hurt himself, that felt like a makeup call to me. Draymond Green, for all the stuff that he gets away with to be called for a foul on that, I mean, come on. This guy is a moving screen a second. He had a play yesterday where he was running with the ball in hand towards the hoop. He stopped right before the three-point line and tossed it back to a shooter who was curling around behind him. And then when the Cavs defender tried to go around him, he just sticks his ass out a little bit, gives him a hip check. No player in the league can set a screen with his back turned to the player using his ass 
like Draymond Green and not get called for fouls. He's a unicorn in that sense. That was a hell of a defensive effort. Say what you will about the offense. I mean, we have issues there. You can't have an overnight from Chetty Osman and then Okoro was terrible, passed up open threes. He's clearly scared on the offensive end out there to make mistakes in fear of what will happen to his minutes. But with Dean Wade out of the mix yesterday, Mitchell showed up, Mobley showed up, Allen had moments, but Darius just struggled. And Karis LeVert, the peaks and valleys are so high and low. He didn't even score a basket until that end of the half three on a play that Mitchell set up for him. And he finished the game with 11 points. He had one excellent play where he finished through contact from Looney at the rim. But aside from that, it was an exceptionally quiet night from him. So I'm just going to offer you the following perspective. Steph Curry, otherworldly performance. Vaulted him to the top of the scoring race. 40 points on 15 for 23 from the floor and six three-pointers. That's unbelievable. The man deserves credit. Let's celebrate the things we can. Almost universally, everyone listening to this is perfectly fine with me slandering the Warriors. So I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do it in the emotional state I was in yesterday. I'm going to do it in the objectively removed from emotion state that I'm feeling right now. We have lost 11 times in a row to that team. The Cavaliers have not beaten them in the regular season since 2016, Christmas Day. We won in the finals. We beat them on Christmas. And then from there, it has just been them hanging L after L on us. So I think it's understandable anyone who has a significant rooting interest in the Cleveland Cavaliers would be rooting for their demise. That's to say nothing of the fact that Draymond Green is perhaps the most hated basketball player in the history of Cavalierdom. What's the list? Michael Jordan, I suppose, would be up there. But I would imagine a fair amount of the people listening right now weren't even alive when he took the Cavs out in that shot over Elo. Deshaun Stevenson, he'd be on my list from the Wizards days. Joachim Noah, he's on my list for sure. Uh, Jay Crowder, that's not really hatred from an opponent standpoint. That's more from he came in here and absolutely sucked. And then also, I didn't love... Okay, this is going to expose what a team first dickhead I am, I realize. But I thought he deserved the punch in the face from J.R. Smith. I'll just say it. He came crashing down the lane and smashed him in the back and was just shoving and shoving, and J.R. Smith put an end to that. At some point, you have to stand up for yourself. Does anyone deserve to be punched in the face? No. But if anyone deserved to be punched in the face, I'm just saying. Was it great that he probably hyperextended his knee on the way down when he crumpled like a folded up piece of paper? No. But I will say, if ever there was an example of fuck around and find out, that was it. And bravo to our unstable superstar, J.R. Smith. Completely unpredictable. Oftentimes to the detriment of the Cavs. But in that scenario, I was fine with it. But Draymond Green is number one with a bullet. Nobody even comes close to this guy. He talks a lot. He plays dirty as hell. And last night, he got a technical for a delay of game after he sort of shoulder-butted a ball and then slapped it down. Now, a lot of people will say, in a game that close, you can't, you can't do that. You can't call that. It gets called all the time. You simply just can't touch the ball after you score. But devil's advocate, Draymond Green never scores. He may not have understood that. That was his only two points of the game. So while, yes, in a typical situation, I would say, any opportunity you have to punish Draymond Green, take it. But maybe, just maybe, In the instance that he scores the basketball, we should stop the game, shoot fireworks, 
let him take a few laps around the court, hands in the sky, raised to the heavens, celebrating because we're not going to see much more of it before he hangs it up. So if you are a Draymond Green fan, you should savor every moment. And that arena, they've done some suffering this year. I mean, this is a team vastly underperforming on the heels of an NBA title. You have Clay Thompson making over $40 million for the next couple seasons, who's just been terrible. This guy is putting up, and I know I use this phrase a lot, Jay Crowder-like numbers. Look at his stats throughout the course of this season. Shooting below 35% from the field, shooting below 32% from three. No, excuse me, after last night, 32.3%. And his true shooting percentage has absolutely plummeted. This is a guy who's danced around 58, 59% for much of his career, just 46% true shooting percentage. So he looks significantly worse than he did during the time where he was a vital part of their finals runs. And the hope was that Jordan Poole and his newly minted gigantic contract would also serve as a way to cushion the downfall of an older Clay Thompson. But Jordan Poole has been inconsistent at best. This is a man who averaged nearly 19 points a game, was amongst the best players in the league last year in terms of improvement, and he was thought to take another step forward now, but instead he has regressed a bit to start this season. And that's the interesting thing with the Warriors. I think sometimes we see exceptional performances from guys around Steph because of Steph's sheer gravity. But there must be an undercurrent of people wondering if it's not more beneficial to put Poole alongside Steph if Clay continues to struggle like this. And Kerr has avoided that conversation because of how great Clay has typically been off the ball. But my God, this is an aggressive slump. And with Poole also struggling, sometimes you just wonder, should they shake it up simply to see if it puts both guys in a position where they start to change their play? But do it, don't do it, doesn't matter to me. I would be perfectly content to watch every non-Steph warrior struggle mightily for the remainder of time. Because why can't you just let the Cavs win one goddamn game? 11 in a row? Come on. So if you want to celebrate anything, celebrate the difference between where the Warriors were after winning a title last year and the way that people feel about them now. Even just before the season began. They were a team projected to win 52 games. The Vegas odds at this point, Golden State is projected to win 42 games with only a 3% chance of repeating as NBA champions. Boston, the clear favorite there. Phoenix with an 18.5% chance. Our Cleveland Cavaliers, teamrankings.com predicts to have a 10.6% chance of winning the NBA championship. All this despite a three-game skid. I can remember less than a year ago, Colin Cowherd heaping praise on the trio of Kuminga, Moody, and Wiseman. These guys are going to carry the mantle. They're going to make this team a contender for years and years to come. It is very clear that one man is the difference between this team being a contender and not, and that's Steph Curry. But they're going to need a hell of a lot more. They don't have a bench anymore. He's become even more important for them, along with Klay Thompson struggling, Poole struggling. You can't expect Curry to do this every night and if he does do it every night because he's shown he's absolutely unbelievable if you want to celebrate something Cavs fans celebrate the fact that we are watching that team buckle under the difficulty of repeating and the massive payroll that they have amassed similar to how we've put ourselves in a position where we don't have many pivots what we do have though is hunger and youth and you just don't know that that's going to sustain 
on a team that's just fat and satiated after winning an NBA title. And their supposed future is not even on the floor. Free agent guys, G League type level players, we will put them into the rotation ahead of these guys because they're simply not consistent and we can't trust them. And if there's one thing that's going to destroy the trade value of guys like Wiseman and Kuminga and Moody, it's not playing them on a team that desperately needs more production from their bench and they still can't get onto the floor. What message does that send to anyone who you later want to flip them for veterans who can contribute more immediately? What message are you sending to teams that you won't even play these guys when your bench has been atrocious? So celebrate that. Because what looked like, oh God, these guys could rip off a couple more titles if the old guys don't fall off too quick. Well, Clay Thompson is certainly not heading in the right direction. Draymond Green basically stopped trying to score at this point and continues to just be a complete emotional liability out there on the floor. The play that got him the tech yesterday, Mobley couldn't have blocked him any cleaner than that. Hand straight up, Draymond basically just jumped into him, lost the ball, threw a tantrum, and then what happens on the other end of the floor? The Cavs miss a shot in transition and Evan Mobley has nobody on him because he's all alone because Draymond's screaming at the ref and just dunks it uncontested. That was magical. It was one great play followed by a second great play. Now when the final buzzer sounded, yes, I was disappointed. But if it happens to you 11 times in a row, it starts to sting just slightly less. And we can focus on the positives, that things look very bleak for this team moving forward unless we see a significant turnaround from Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole. But to watch these three young guys who were all taken in the you know lottery picks not even make it on the floor in a game as competitive as that. And here's the other thing that I do feel like we should feel positive about. The defensive effort from Darius Garland, despite the horrible shooting, from Karis LeVert, from Donovan Mitchell, huge yesterday. Dean Wade will come back. The Cavs will work out their late game offense. This is all while we got pretty objectively bad play on the offensive end out of the small forward position. So there is still plenty of room to grow, but focus on what we did see yesterday. We saw eight offensive rebounds out of Evan Mobley. We saw him assert himself to score more in a night where everybody was struggling. And that is the leap that everybody is waiting to see happen. Look at his last several games, 21 and nine over the last three games on 63% from the floor and 80% from the free throw line, by the way. So you could feel bad about Darius Garland, or you could feel good about Evan Mobley and say, hey, you know what the luxury it is of having one of the best starting lineups in the NBA? It's that if one guy has a down night, it doesn't rule us out of the game. And last night, it was a lot of Mitchell, a lot of Evan Mobley, and not much else. And the Cavs still were in a position to win that game. They did not onto the Timberwolves. JB did the league a service, though. For every coach that's willing to cut a check to speak the truth, the screens are just egregious from that squad. And can we say another thing here, too? I think that that will eventually have an impact on how they call them, if it happens enough and it's put out there enough. But I think there's also something to be said about the way that they play. It's very similar to when the Legion of Boom with the Seahawks would get away with holding and clutching because you simply can't call everything. I think our bigs could take note of that. The screens that get set by Jared Allen and Evan Mobley look night and day different from screens that we set by guys like Draymond Green or Zubach or Steven Adams or some of these guys who are just big bodies. 
make the refs call you on some of those screens. And late in the game, there's too much coming up high to try to set a pick for Mitchell and getting shoved and losing your balance. Allen has got to be better than that. And I thought Allen has been very consistently solid, but I do wish that he would amp up the physicality a little bit. In the way that we saw from Evan Mobley tonight, he was doing work on the offensive glass. He was fighting for those second chances. And the level of intensity from the whole team against the Warriors was very good. But if we can get that consistently, game in and game out, we're going to win way more of these than we lose. Three-game losing streak aside. So on to the Timberwolves who are struggling. You want to feel good about something else? Just consider the plight of the Timberwolves versus the plight of our Cavaliers. Both our squads went all in on these summer blockbuster trades, giving up multiple first-round picks, giving up lots of players in return. And right now, the Timberwolves, who were expected to be contender status with this, listless out there on the floor. The type of energy that they had when they won their play-in and made it into the playoffs last year, they're 13th in the Western Conference, 5-8. and eight. We're upset about being 8-4. and four. They're not even in the play-in picture at this point. And they committed to a 30-year-old Rudy Gobert who still has $170 million left on his contract. $46.5 million four years from now on his player option. That is a horrible place to be in because if that doesn't work, they can't pivot. If this experiment with Donovan Mitchell didn't work, keep in mind, Donovan Mitchell is the oldest key asset the Cavs have at 26 years old. They would still have ways to pivot and maneuver by offloading one of these star players. Who do you think is bringing back more in a trade? Jared Allen making $20 million a year or Rudy Gobert making $46 million a year? It is far more likely that the Cavaliers can retool this roster than the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves went all in and they are also on a three-game losing streak with serious questions as to the fit of Gobert alongside Cat. If Rudy Gobert fails there, do you think any team is going to give them even a fraction of what they gave up for a 30-year-old, 34 at the end of this contract center, who's being paid in the same realm of a superstar talent like a Donovan Mitchell? Jared Allen, he's making $20 million a season. Evan Mobley, his impact is only going to increase, and we got him on a cheap deal at the moment. So feel good about the situation the Cavs are in and know that we're off this road trip. We're off these late nights. We're going to get some home games coming in here. And I think we're all going to feel better in a week from now than we feel right now. So I'm not going to belabor this podcast anymore because I'll have a much more extensive one after this Wolves game. But I feel good about their chances for a victory. And I think everyone is going to feel much better after watching how their huge acquisition is playing compared to how Donovan Mitchell has already made such an immediate impact here. This has been a brief, concise episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you for listening. And to all you guys who have left reviews and rated the podcast, thank you. It, it means the world to me. I appreciate you letting me become a part of this Cavaliers podcast community. And uh, I love the participation. So more episodes on the way. Another one certainly after the Wolves game. And if there's things you want to hear discussed, feel free. Bob at fropod.com. 
I'm Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, lifelong Cavs fan, and this is the Fear the Fro podcast. Levert, live to Mobley, This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.